Our purpose as a local church is to help you to connect, to grow, and to serve. And it's always fun to talk about the connection part. Our connecting with God. What is God doing in our life and how is He changing our life? We love the growth part when we begin to grow and we see the change and looking back and thinking where we used to be in the past. But oftentimes, the service portion is a little more difficult because it actually means that we have to begin to do something a little bit outside of our comfort zone. And something that you have probably discovered as I am beginning to discover as time goes on is that when God stretches me, when I begin to apply the fact that God has connected with me, and I begin to apply the fact that I am growing in my relationship with God, and I begin to apply that to my life, service is the natural outlay of that. And in this series, we are developing the thought of making an impact. And the, and the fact that we want to make a positive impact in our world, in the here and now, but also in the scope of eternity. And many of us, as we begin to grow and develop in our relationship with God, we naturally, from the overflow of what the love that God has shown us, we naturally want to gather and bring other people along with us. For others, and to be honest with you, myself included in this part, it's a real stretch to talk about my faith. And people say, well, you're a pastor. I know, I know it's my job. But it's, it's a stretch because my natural inclination is I'd much rather go sit in the corner. I'd, you, know, you, you see me out the front greeting you as you come in? That is not my natural thing. I would much rather ignore all of you. <laughs> but I know that it's critically important to get out and to meet people and to find out where you are and how we can connect, grow, and ultimately serve with you. So this, to me, is a stretch as well when we talk about the now what. Because when we're talking about theory, it's so easy to talk about what we, theoretically we should do in our lives. But let's, this morning, apply what we've already learned in the beginning part of the series when we've talked about impact, the fact that it's God who does the sending. God is the one who calls us and He sends us out. And then from that, we developed and moved on, and we looked at our local community and the impact that we can make in our local community. We looked at the impact we can make in our own family lives when we begin to apply and live out the things of God. And this morning, as it says on the screen, we're here to talk about impacting the nations. The premise of this entire series is based upon a poem written by a man named C.T. Studd called Only One Life. And through the course of this poem, he lays out uh, a number of different scenarios, always finishing with these last two lines. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have very little guarantee in this world of how long we're going to live here on earth. Even this Friday, there was an earthquake in Indonesia. And a tsunami came through. I was reading in the newspaper yesterday how almost 400 people have been killed in a tsunami in Indonesia. They woke up on Friday morning as any other normal morning. By that evening, 400 people were gone from this earth. And it began me thinking back how critical it is 
that we don't waste the time that God has given to us. We certainly do not want to waste our lives. I don't want to be at the end of my life and thinking about all the regrets, the things that I wish that I would have done. If I'd only said that, if I'd only done this. What we're going to look at this morning is the fact that in order to impact the nations, in order to make an impact in this world, not just for now, but for eternity to come, we need to go straight back to what the Bible teaches. We're going to use the example of a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is quite a well-known man in the New Testament. In fact, the majority is wise. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was a man that had an incredible upbringing, very, very prestigious school that he went to, began on the fast track on the Pharisees, as those were the religious leaders. He was on the fast track to being a leader with the Pharisees. And God got a hold of his heart quite miraculously on a road called on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to go and persecute Christians. And Jesus Christ came to him and miraculously turned his world upside down and said, you're no longer going to persecute Christians. You are now going to be a Christian and you're going to go and present the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. That same calling that the Apostle Paul had in a miraculous way with Jesus Christ, he has given to the local church. We didn't have big visions, but what we have is the Word of God, the Bible, that says go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And here we have an outline laid out. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 10. I'm going to use Romans chapter number 10 as a very brief outline to walk through what is the calling on our lives. And then we're going to look at some application for our daily lives in the remaining part of the message this morning. So first and foremost, we see the fact that we have the desire is of the Apostle Paul. This is his desire, but I believe it should be our desire also. Is this, he says this in verse number one. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. There's a huge difference between desiring something and acting upon it. There's a huge difference between someone saying, my heart's desire is that the entire nation of Australia, the entire region of the South Pacific, the entire world will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's a huge difference between saying that and acting upon it. I have a desire, and maybe you do too, to be healthy. But then there's ice cream. And then there's all the other things. Chocolate. I have a desire to be healthy, so therefore I'm going to join a gym. Or I'm going to stop or eat less ice cream. I'm not going to stop. Eat less ice cream. I'm going to do certain things. There's a huge difference between saying I'm going to, I really, really want to, and actually joining the gym. And there's a huge difference between joining the gym. When I was first married, my wife and I, we joined the gym. It was a Gold's Gym, if that impresses any of you gym junkies. And we joined the gym, and I went a few times, and it made me sore. And then I kept the membership for another year because that's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to keep the membership and never go. 
And then I finally, but I did get a t-shirt that said Gold's Gym on it, so. But there's a huge difference between saying, I want to go and be healthy, than actually getting up and being healthy. And here the Apostle Paul says, it's my heart's desire that the nations, that these people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is the greatest message that you and I have to share with this world. There's a lot of good things we can do in this world. There's a lot of good things we can hope for in this world. There's a huge difference between saying it and acting upon it. Because it's not something that is, well, if it doesn't work out here, there's no real consequences. There's absolute consequences. And I believe that we as a local church must do and think and act upon the things that God tells us to do and to think and to act upon. So our desire should be the same desire. But we can't just leave it there of saying, I really want the nations to come to know Christ as their Savior. What should we also do? We should have the goal is that they shouldn't just know about God. We want them to have a relationship with God. There's a huge difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge of the things of God. We want a a close, intimate relationship with God. Where we don't just say, He's someone else out there. He's my Father. He's my Savior. And we see that in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. The Apostle Paul lays out, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, I love this definitive statement at the end of verse 9. It says, you will be saved. Now, to be honest with you, that preaches really, really well, because what does it not say? It doesn't say you might be saved or you could be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, a definitive statement, you will be saved. And it goes on, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And what he's saying here is, it, this salvation is not just for Jewish people, it's for absolutely all nations. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. And verse 13 reiterates it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have the desire is that the nations be saved. We have the goal that they will call upon the name of Jesus Christ, believing in their heart, confessing with their mouth. And then finally, we have the how. The how is the now what. We talk about going through the motions and we talk about desiring something. And this is the action part of it. And this is where you and I go from being simply desiring and having a knowledge and a head knowledge that the world needs to come to know Christ as a Savior. And this is where we begin to be active in our faith. The how is that we are sent by God. The Apostle Paul here lays out a pretty simple plan to impact the nations. Verses 14 and 15. He talks backwards here. He starts with the goal that people will call on them, and he goes backwards to finally to being to preaching the good news. Let's see, in verse number 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The biblical order is, we talked about this several weeks ago, is first of all that God sends us. and We proclaim the good news. Preaching is not just what we do on Sundays. It is what, simply proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to others so that people will hear the good news. Well, they'll believe in their hearts, and when they believe in their hearts, they'll call upon the name of the Lord and ultimately be saved. And that is the goal. The problem is when it's laid out in this Bible, it, it seems so clean. And we think to ourselves, if I only had as much faith or I've only had the same circumstances that Paul had. This morning, we're going to be looking at the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, 13, and 14. We're not going to do an exhaustive study, but many times we have the same excuse. That same excuse of, if I only had the same circumstances that Paul had. And I'm going to challenge you today that the circumstances that Paul faced in order to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the nations is not what you and I want to face today. But... If he could do that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him, maybe you and I today can impact the nations with God working in us and through us as well. In a moment, we're going to pray. This is not the closing prayer. Don't get excited. So as we pray, I'm going to invite you to pray where you are and say, God, will you help me make an impact in the nations? And will you work in my heart so that I'll be the person you want me to be and do the things that you want me to do? Let's pray together. Lord, as we open up your word now, Lord, I pray that you will do what only you can do. You can change our hearts and change our minds. You can give us knowledge and instruction for our lives so that we can know what it is that you want us to do. Lord, in our world, there's a, there's a scary prospect of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. But Lord, we know that you're the, when you are the one that does the sending, that you'll be the one that does the changing. And Lord, I pray for each person here today that we will only do what you want us to do. Nothing more and nothing less. And in Jesus' name, amen. In your bulletin, you'll find the notes for today and also you'll find the principle. And the principle for today is this. I will face opposition when making an impact for God. I know, not that exciting of a principle, is it? It's not something I go, oh, I cannot wait to face opposition. I have friends that they say they like conflict. And to be honest with you, there's something wrong with them. Like I have one friend that goes, oh, I just love arguing. And like, I know, like you argue about everything, and you always have to be right. I don't particularly enjoy opposition. I don't particularly enjoy naturally being, in a sense, the front of people. Public speaking, you, you don't scare me anymore, but in the very early days, it was terrifying to speak publicly. And now, we, as we go through and look at what the Scripture says, there's a number of things we're going to discover today as far as opposition and what I want to do is to turn that around and to bring into understanding that when we look at what the Bible teaches, we can face the opposition that all of us will face when we seek to make an impact for God, but we don't do it on our own. And simply 
facing opposition. I'm going to say this slowly so you get it. Simply facing opposition does not mean that God is not with you. In fact, I'm discovering, and I say discovering because I'm still learning this, that when we face opposition for the things of God, that's when He truly allows us to make an impact. When everything is smooth and easy, it seems like nothing really happens. It's when we face opposition that God does work in our lives. In the book of Acts, chapter number 13, verses 2 through 4, we see in this passage a group of men have got together in a city in Syria called Antioch. And they are worshiping God, they're praying to God, and they're fasting. Now fasting is not just neglecting to eat food. Fasting is not eating food for a period of time or not doing something for a period of time so there's no distractions, so you're, you're ready to hear when God speaks to you. And it says this in verse number 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, they were ready, they were worshiping and they were fasting, they were readying themselves to hear from God, and God spoke. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down. They went down and they began what we know today as the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you notice in that passage, in verse number 2, it says the name Saul. For some reason, later on in that passage, that same passage, verse number 9, we see that Saul begins to be called Paul from chapter 13, verse number 9. And from then on, he's always referred to as Paul. But previous to this, he was known as Saul. This is just a little bit of, I don't know, side trivia. And if you ask me, now why did he do that? I'm going to give you a really good answer. You ready? I have no idea. But now he's known as Paul. But previous to that, he was known as Saul. Now Saul was the name he grew up with, and that was the name he was known as, known as Saul of Tarsus. We see in this passage here, or this passage, the beginning of what's known as a missionary journey. There's a map on the screen. And the map shows you the journey that he took. They began in Syria, in the city of Antioch, went down, went across to the island of Cyprus, then went up into what's modern-day Turkey, an area, a region called Pamphylia, and then went into Galatia. If you ever read in your Bible, the book of Galatians, that's that region, Galatia. And they made themselves a big circle, a really odd-shaped circle, and they ended up going back to Antioch. The missionary journey took about two years in, in length. It was the shortest of Paul's missionary journeys, but it was a beginning point. And we often think to themselves, well, if the Holy Spirit in verse number two called them and sent them out, they must have a really easy time of it because God's the one that sent them out. And wouldn't you think that? But the circumstances around this are quite the opposite. And this morning, we're going to be looking at four different areas of opposition. We have political opposition, spiritual opposition, cultural opposition, and physical opposition. We see that in all in these passages here, these oppositions that they faced. Now, if you're anything like me, when it comes to getting fit 
or getting healthy. There's a point there when your body says, ouch, this hurts. And some of you push through that and you get sore and more sore and then eventually it gets easier. But if you stop at the first little, ouch, this hurts, you're never going to get fit, are you? And that's, that's why I have the body I do. We're going to be looking at the opposition that we face. And at what point do we say, stop, this is too much, I can't take this anymore. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and see what happened in his life and see if he ever said, stop, I can't take this anymore, it's too much for me. Let's begin by asking this question. Opposition, is it worth it? And this is the first point this morning. The political opposition, going back to chapter number 12. During this period of time, there was a man who was in power known as Herod. Herod is the grandson. This Herod is Herod Agrippa. And this Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great, which is the Herod that killed the children when Jesus was born. The children that were two and under when Jesus was born, Herod the Great. And then the, the Herod that sent and tried Jesus and ultimately Jesus was crucified under was Herod Antipas. So this is a different Herod again who was the ruler of the region at this time. And he says in verse number one, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword. And when he had saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This is the chapter before the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas out to reach the nations. The chapter before, they had political pressure. The political pressure was the fact that James had been killed. We also see that Peter was in prison just because it was popular. And y'all don't know about you, but I look at things like that and go, hmm, political pressure Maybe I need to take a step back. These men didn't. They took a step forward. And what took place because they took a step forward? Going back to the end of the chapter, and if, you, if you're a teenage boy and you like things that are a little bit morbid, read through this passage because Herod dies. And in verse number 24 it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. You have political pressure where it's politically incorrect to preach the gospel. In fact, it's going to send you either to death or to prison because it's politically incorrect to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, what do we find? The word of God increased and multiplied. People came to know Christ as their Savior despite political pressure. How do we feel today? In our world, it's politically incorrect to do many things that the Bible calls us to do. In many areas of the world, it's illegal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an organization. In fact, if you have your phones, you can Google it later, but not now. called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs is an organization that goes through and it documents the different oppressions that are happening around the world, happening through Asia, happening through the Middle East, the things that are taking place in North Africa. And it's absolutely horrible things. I believe that more people are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ today than in any other time period of history. It's incredible the political pressure that we're under. 
We're also not just under political pressure in the sense of a political oppression. We're also underneath uh, the opposition that it's just hard to speak the truth. And it's no longer politically correct to speak the truth in many things. And I do not, I'm not a proponent of being rude or unkind. But if the gospel is truly the gospel and we're called to share, despite political opposition, we must preach the gospel because is it worth it? As it asks on the top of the screen there, let me ask you something. Is it worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. We have political opposition, but not only do we have political opposition, we also have spiritual opposition. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas went out. They, they sailed across to the island of Cyprus. And on the island of Cyprus, they began making their way across the island, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. People were coming to know Christ as their Savior, and they faced some opposition. In verse number 6 of chapter 13, it says, When they have gone through the whole island as far as, far as uh, Paphros, they came to a certain magician, named a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name. Now, let me just a little side note. The word Elymas, I did a little research on them, it quite literally means a sorcerer. He was a man who went and did, did spiritual incantations. He was basically, you know, today we'd call it, if he was a lady, you'd call it a witch or a warlock if you were a man. He was not a, a person that was a God follower or certainly not a God fearer. He was a person who brought up spiritual incantations. And he was tricking the man named Sergius Paulus, who had brought in Paul and, and Barnabas to to tell him about the good news of the gospel. In our world, we face spiritual opposition. We often don't recognize it. I doubt very much that this proconsul of the island of Cyprus, I doubt very much that he recognized the fact that the person that was his right-hand man giving him counsel was not te telling him the truth. As the Bible says there, he was a false prophet. He was telling the lies to this man. And he was trying to manipulate him and change his thinking. We often fail to recognize the spiritual in our world. Now, I do not believe that we should be looking at and looking for demons underneath every single rock or casting out demons constantly around us. But we do need to recognize that we live in a spiritual world and there is spiritual oppression and spiritual opposition all around us. That's why when we move forward, we don't do it in our own strength in our own power. The Bible teaches that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is nothing overtaken you, you that is common to men. The fact that He will take care of you, He will protect you. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but we certainly can be oppressed by them on the outside. That's why we, when we pray, we say, God, will you protect us? Will you go with us? Because I, I cannot do that by myself, and neither can you. And despite all the spiritual oppression, we see in verse number 12, then the proconsul believed. Despite the spiritual oppression, he heard the good news of the gospel and believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. 
we see not only with political opposition and spiritual opposition, we see that the gospel goes out. And maybe today you're feeling oppressed. You're feeling in the sense that many things are against you. When you're going out to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and you need to go right back to the Bible and say, God, will you be with me? Will you guide me? Will you protect me? Because we certainly need that protection. We see political and spiritual opposition. The third is cultural opposition. Now what the Apostle Paul would do is when he went into a, a, a new village or a new town, he would find the local Jewish synagogue. And basically, he would culturally, he would fit in very well there. And on the Sabbath day, they would go through and they would, they would begin to teach and they would read through the scrolls. And when someone new would come in from the outside, they would give them a place of honor and they would read the scripture and say, do you have a word for us today? And they would, the person would come in and then they would read the scripture and they would expound upon it. That's what the Apostle Paul was asked to do. And he gave a sermon through the end of chapter number 13. That's a long sermon. I'm not going to read the whole sermon to you, but he lays out the good news of Jesus Christ using Jewish history and the, the, the history of the Israelites and lays it out. And of course, that gets the attention of the spiritual leaders and going, hang on. That's not what we've always thought. That doesn't fit well with our culture. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in our world around us that just because they're cultural doesn't make them right. There's many things in our Australian culture that are absolutely tremendous, wonderful attributes. There's some other areas of our Australian culture that just because it's always been that way doesn't mean that it's right, and that certainly does not mean that it's godly. And in verses 44 and through 45, he says, The next Sabbath, the, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So word got out of the sermon that he preached. This is yet to happen to me. The whole city comes. But he preaches and the whole city says, We want to hear about what you have to teach. Verse 45, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now go down to verse number 50. But the Jews incited the devout woman of, of high, high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And you think to yourself, if you've been driven out because of your, culturally you have turned the world upside down, you think, is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to face the being kicked out of a city? Let's, continue, let's read in verses 49 and 52. It says, And the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. You notice, with opposition comes results. With opposition came the fact that people's lives were changed. Verse number 52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. If we wait until there's no cultural opposition to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, we will never move forward in our Christian life. In every aspect of our lives, we will face opposition. We will face negative opposition. You will be different as a result. The fact that you're in church today, 
First of all, let me congratulate you. I believe you're in the right place today. But culturally, that doesn't sit well. Culturally, that's not the norm. Now, in my family, that is the norm. In fact, if we weren't at church, it would feel really weird. Like, what's on TV on Sunday mornings? I have no idea. I don't think, I, it, it's just, it, this is the norm. Culturally, it's really unusual to be at church on Sunday mornings. Next week, we're on, on Saturdays, we meet for Impact Bumbery, and we begin this new thing. We're going to, basically, we wanted to change the culture of our church and begin thinking more outwardly and, and giving opportunity to share the good news with others outside of our own walls. And that culturally is not normal. But you know what? When we get outside of our comfort zone and we begin to break the mold of opposition, we see, just as it says there, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When we face political and spiritual and cultural opposition, it's absolutely worth it because lives will be changed. The gospel will go forward. But not only that, and it gets better. So the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they faced some political pressure. It's not politically correct to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. But also they faced spiritual opposition when they faced a person who was a sorcerer face to face, and they, they talked him down and they led his, the person that he was oppressing to Jesus Christ. They've also faced cultural opposition where they've been kicked out of a, of a city. And going into chapter number 14, you think to yourself, that's a pretty exciting letter they have to write back to the church that sent them out. But they moved on to a, a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, we see in verse number 19, the, the Jews followed them. And they were in a town called Antioch in, in Galatia, and they were kicked out of that town, and they were followed. But the Jews came from Antioch and, and Iconium, having Sorry, having persuaded the crowds, they, get this, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Now, if you're really culturally relevant today, you may be confused by the term stoned. It's not a drug, and it was not a happy, carefree time. What they would do when they stoned a person, they wouldn't take pebbles, and they wouldn't just throw rocks at them. They would take small boulders and they would crush them down on people. I have no doubt, and the scripture doesn't lay out the injuries that Paul faced. But in order for them to think that he was dead, there would have been a pile of rocks covering him that would have been thrown down on his body. These injuries would, I'm sure, have, have bruised him heavily, most likely broken ribs. I have no doubt that he walked you know, very, very tenderly the next day. But they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Obviously, he was unconscious. They dumped his body, leaving it for the animals and the birds because they hated the good news of the gospel so much. I'm very glad for all of our sakes and the fact that he is yet to write the majority of the New Testament by this time that Paul was not dead. And it goes on. And it says that Paul got up and he, they, he was helped by others and he walked back into the city. And when, in verse number 21, it says, and when they had preached the gospel to the city. Notice he just got stoned to death. And when they, made, they had made many disciples. 
I don't know about you, but it's really, really difficult when I'm sore or I'm not feeling well or I have a hangnail to preach the gospel to people. There's always some great excuses why I cannot preach to others, why I cannot invite that person to church, why I cannot take five minutes out of my day and to talk to somebody and ask them a simple question like, are you okay? If you read the newspaper like I did this week, the fact that the suicide rate in WA has gone up by 9% in the last couple of years, the highest rates of, of death for young people, 13 to 21, is suicide. It's not always comfortable to take a few moments and say, are you okay? How can I help you? To, to shut our mouths for a few moments and listen to somebody. It may be physically uncomfortable. It may be the fact that it's actually physically dangerous for us to take a few moments. But is it worth it? According to this passage, and I believe the Apostle Paul, I, you know, you imagine the poor guy. Other passages in the Bible, Paul describes himself in saying, I'm not very good looking. And I'm sure after being stoned with big, huge stones, and other passages talk about him being whipped with whips to the point of nearing death. He's gone through shipwrecks and other oppression. I have no doubt that we'd probably agree with him. You're not that good looking of a guy. But was it worth it? Verse 21 says again, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, a kind of understatement, isn't it? We must enter the kingdom of God. Paul's saying here, and I'm sure he's still recovering from his injuries, going back, encouraging these new Christians, the fact that they can stand strong. And I can no doubt if he was to stand here today, and I guess through his words, in a sense he is, standing before you today saying, is it worth it to face uncomfortable situations? Is it worth it to be stretched by the good news of the gospel so that people's lives can be changed? And I believe he'll stand up here with a strong voice and say, absolutely, it's worth it. So with that, that's the question that you and I must ask ourselves today. We will face political opposition. We are facing spiritual opposition. Cultural opposition, absolutely. And physical opposition, I really hope not, but yes, we may face physical opposition in order to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? As a local church, our calling as a local church, we use the words connect, grow, and serve. And we just do that because it fits well and it helps in our minds, helps, helps us think through the process that we work through. But really, the process is nothing more than simply looking at what the Word of God says, looking at what the Bible says, and saying, God, what do you have for me to do? I believe the most powerful question that you and I can ask after calling upon the name of the Lord and accepting Him as Savior, but as Christians, of simply saying, God, what do you want me to do? That's how Paul and Barnabas were sent out on this missionary journey. And they went and did two others. And Paul eventually kind of did another one when he was sent to Rome, but he was a prisoner at that time. 
every single step along the way, is it worth it? Absolutely. Because they simply stopped and asked, God, what do you want me to do? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, that's a question that I believe that every single one of us should be asking. And when, when, not if, but when God speaks to us, we need to say, yes, God, because it will be worth it. Remember I talked earlier about the fact that it's easy to talk about connecting with God, easy to talk about growing in our relationship with God, but it's a lot more difficult to talk about serving God. There's a question we have been asking and we're going to continue to ask as, as our local church is something we find very effective, is sharing the good news of, of the gospel and the nations around us. We physically can't go, but absolutely we can give financially. Now, I'm not going, if you know us as, as, as a church, we don't do the hard sell on, on our finances. We don't receive an offering. We encourage you to give online or, or to give through the offering bags outside the door. We don't do the hard sell. But this, 100% of these finances, they go out the door. We don't keep any of, of these at all. And what we ask you to do is to simply ask God, God, what part do you want me to have in the next 12 months for world missions? What impact do you want me to make for world missions in the next 12 months? That, for me personally, has revolutionized my life. It's changed my priorities. It's helped me a great deal to be focused upon what is truly important. It's also, it's blessed me personally. I believe that when we live by faith, and this is not prosperity, you will not get rich quick by doing this, but God will supply your needs. Is that God may not increase your ability to give financially because he's given you more money, in a sense, a, a larger pay packet. But what he can do, and often, as I've discovered in my life, he's lowered bills. He's brought things out when you go, that was a bargain. Start listing out all the bargains you find and the things that, that you look at, you think, God, thank you for helping me save that $50 this month so I can give it to World Missions. What we ask of our church is something that's difficult in our world is the word commitment. But I believe in my life, when I've made a commitment to something, it's always worked out in my benefit. I made a, a very firm commitment, and my wife did as well, to each other. It wasn't just one way. It was two way. We made a commitment, and we're reaping the benefits of that commitment of our lives together. With also with our faith promise commitment. The reason why we use the word commitment is because it's between you and God. And by the reason why it's called faith promise commitment is that by faith, Whatever God tells you to do, you by faith promise to commit to that for the next 12 months. And the reason why we have these cards here is simply for budgeting purposes. There's very, it's very difficult for us to promise our missionaries in Vanuatu, um, we don't know how much we're going to give you each month. It's very hard for them to move forward. So what we do is, based upon the commitments that we receive, we make a budget. And then we're able to, by faith, our, our church, we make a commitment to our missionaries. 100% of that money goes to them each and every month. Our church in the last year, you have been incredibly faithful. We introduced this last year. And it's over and above our tithes and offerings. And I believe that us, we as a church have been incredibly financially blessed by this. And also 
people blessed. We've seen people come to know Christ as a Savior. We've people, seen people baptized. We've seen people grow in their relationship with God. And I believe it's because we go back and we discover what's important to God needs to be important to, to you and I. You are welcome to fill that card out at any time and place it in the offering bags. But on October 14th, we're going to have what we're calling the Commitment Sunday. Again, I don't do the hard sell. It's simply saying, God, what do you want me to do? And you pray and ask God what he wants you to do. But on that particular Sunday, we're going to collect them as a, as a whole. And if you're late with it and bring it in the next few weeks, that's perfectly fine as well. But there has to be, a, a, in a sense, a D-Day. And we're going to make that commitment that day, celebrate what God has, is going to do through us. And then also on that Sunday, we have some announcements that we want to make to you. I believe you will want to be here that Sunday. Announcements that make for you about our local church and how we're going to be impacting our community and the doors that God is opening up for us as a result. So October 14th, go ahead and plan on being here. There's nothing good on TV that day. And you want to be here that day because God is doing incredible things in us and through us. We begin this message by praying and asking God to help open our eyes. Let's close this service today before we sing a song and say, God, thank you for speaking to us. Will you help me and give me the faith to say yes when you speak to me? Let's pray together. Lord, you have done and are doing incredible, miraculous things in our lives. Through our local church and through our, our missionaries that we partner with, literally thousands of people around the world are coming to know you as Savior, Lord. Despite opposition, by simply saying yes when you open the doors. Lord, particularly talking about our, our Faith Promise Missions giving. It's often difficult to talk about finances, but Lord, we know that you are the one that makes the impact. You are the one that does the change. And Lord, you also, you're the one that does the calling. Lord, I pray that you'll give each and every one of us faith, myself included, that you'll give us the faith to say yes when you open the door, when you place a, a, a financial amount in our hearts to what to give to world missions each week. Lord, I pray that you will give us the faith to say yes so that we can do the things you want us to do and to be the people you want us to be. And in Jesus' name, amen.